This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform. So we are sitting here in one of our quick start classes. It's actually sort of an impromptu one, um, mostly because I was supposed to be in Greensboro, North Carolina, and there was going to be some other people that were going to take over for me, but those people are sick. And so um, we decided that the topic for today, based on some of the people on the call, would be how to deal with being sick. And so if, uh, if you're in group coaching or, you know, if you're listening to this on the podcast and, uh, you know, you're just trying to figure out a little bit more about Eat to Perform, what we do is we have kind of like this series of, of webinars where you can talk to Eat to Perform coaches and we bring up topics similar to the one that we're going to be talking about here right now. And you get to interact with, you know, you know, doctors, you know, nutritionists, di dietitians, you know, a whole host of people within the Eat Form organization that can kind of help you through some some issues that that you might be having. Obviously, there's always kind of a action element that we try to encourage people to um, be a little diligent about. So that's what I'm going to talk about right now. So if you're in group coaching. A lot of the group coaching people have athletes, and what an athlete does is it's a heart rate variability monitor. Now, before you like start googling heart rate variability, you know just hold off on a second because it, you might not need a heart rate variability um, gauge. But it, I do think it's helpful. I have one. I use it, and you know it'll give me a good understanding of you know when I should work out and when I should pull back. But I can tell you the trends and how the trends work. <coughs> the trends for an athlete is when you're underslept, your athlete is going to show it either that day or the next day. And what seems to sort of happen, you know, and we have actually, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember what it was called on the podcast, but we had the, the owner of athlete, um, Simon. I don't know how to pronounce his last name, but Simon, that was one of the best uh, best podcasts that we did on heart rate variability. And what Simon talked about and sort of confirmed was that oftentimes, you know, you will be underslept. And I know you guys are wondering, like, how does this involve sickness? Trust me, I'm going to get there. Um so when you're underslept, you normally sleep eight hours, you sleep five hours. Sometimes your heart rate variability will show up as fine, and then, but because you're underslept, you end up being more stressed throughout the day. So then you wake up the next day, and then your HRV number is crap because you, um, you know, you had all that stress from the the day that sort of added up to equal you know you shouldn't have worked out you shouldn't have done all the things that you you did and oftentimes what ends up happening is that if you ignore those signals and like I said you know if you have an HRV device those signals are, are telling you well training for this event in in Greensboro North Carolina you know which 
ultimately got canceled. Well, I think the event's going on, um, but my flight got canceled. But, you know, going into uh, December and January, I was underslept and I got sick a few times. But it wasn't an option to not really work out. I had to sort of kind of plow through that a little bit. And, you know, there were times where, you know, I love the new commercials with um, like the Vicks or, or whatever it is where um, the, the guy's trying to explain to, um, you know, that he's not going to be able to make it in today. And then you realize that he's talking to his child. It's such a great commercial because we all know that no matter if you're sick, whether, you know, um, you, you haven't slept well, that there are things that you just have to do and um, you're going to have to plow through them. And so in my situation, you know, I had to train for a fitness competition. Otherwise, you know, um, I could hurt myself. I think that's what a lot of people don't factor in when they don't make sleep a priority, when they don't make eating an adequate amount of food a priority in their life that ultimately it it, it, um, it lands them where their immune system is compromised and they get sick. Now, normally, um, you know, it's the winter time, you know, there's lots of things going around. It's sort of funny though, because like in, in Minnesota, as an example, when it gets um, like really super cold, like, like, minus 15 minus 20 what ends up happening is like i don't i don't even think like viruses can live in that environment <laughs> which which is pretty hilarious to think that like as a human being you live here but viruses could not live here so that's that's kind of interesting um but one of the things i talk about is you know i think you kind of know right and and the whole I think you kind of know thing is I think we all know, you know, when, you know, we've allowed ourselves to get to a point where, you know, um, sickness or sleep hasn't been a priority in our life. And, you know, making those changes sometimes can be difficult. And I can tell you as someone that, that does struggle with t sleep at times, no matter how much vitamin D you take, no matter how much melatonin you know, no matter how much you make sleep a priority, you know, you just have to sort of break it down and be patient with it. And one of the things that, you know, as a kind of a struggling insomniac in the past, uh, the one thing that I'd learned, um, I, don't, I don't know if I read it somewhere or, or whatever, but it was just to relax, you know, and, and, you know, usually for me, relaxing with television um, you know, cause more problems than it solved. And so, you know, I've been talking a little bit about the fact that, you know, I've moved to podcasts and audiobooks and stuff like that. And I'm still trying to find like my, my, my wheelhouse with that. But for the most part, I don't have much problem getting to sleep. Um, seems like when, you know, my stress levels are a little bit higher and stuff like that, I will struggle staying asleep. Um, and so, uh, you know, and that usually, you know, just to be like, I hope it's not 
TMI, but, you know, or too bad for most people. But usually it's when I wake up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. Sort of interesting about the whole waking up in the middle of the night going to the bathroom. There's actually drugs, you know, all on the t t television. You know, it is relatively normal to wake up, you know, um, in the middle of the night multiple times. Sometimes, you know, in that process, you'll realize, hey, I've got to go to the bathroom. And more often than not, you should be able to get to sleep. And if you don't, that is usually a sign that, um, you know, stress is kind of a factor for you. And so, you know, dealing with the, that level of stress and, that, and that's a hard, that's a hard thing to pick apart, you know. Um, and I'll tell you personally that, that I struggle with that. You know, the temptation whenever you're underslept or, or uh, you know, um, stressed out is to... Um, you know, maybe not go to work out, you know, maybe, you know, try to relax more, things of that nature. Personally, I find that there is a part of that, but then there is a larger part where kind of trying to get back into the routine as soon as possible ends up being the biggest priority by far because what happens when you get out of those routines you start to realize well you know I'm under eating I'm not working out very much and then you go oh yeah I guess I kind of know why you know I'm not feeling a hundred percent the good majority of the time and then you've got a bigger hill to climb right so so that's sort of my my thoughts there but I think that they're all sort of related so Katie's saying I would love to use a nightly but I consistently get about six hours of sleep Nightly, probably how I got pneumonia in the first place. Since I've started my 5 a.m. workouts, afraid if I get a nightly, it would constantly tell me that my HLV would show I shouldn't work out. Thoughts? Yes, it would show you that you shouldn't work out. Um, the iFleet is a guide. You know, um, I will, you know, once again, you know, not point the finger at Katie, but point the finger at myself and say, um, you know, and, 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 and just so everybody knows that's listening to this, you know, Katie's a member of Eat to Perform. And, uh, you know, this is one of the things that we're able to do with people, which is, is super helpful. Um, for myself, I would say that if I have to wake up at 5 a.m., it really needs to become almost a religion to get to sleep, you know, around, you know, what what is it? three hours, let's see, nine. So I would have to get to bed probably around, I would have to start my relaxing process around eight o'clock. And then um, one of the things that I, I'll, I'll just tell you guys, you know, I'm not religious about this kind of stuff, but when things are going bad, I do become very religious about it. I become very more, um, you know, acute with my routine because I believe that sleep is um, just fundamental. Like if you if you asked me, you know, um, if you were underslept and you said, should I go to the gym for an hour or should I take a nap for an hour? I would lend my thought process to a nap. Now, there's possibly ways to do both, but um, 
that would be my thinking on that scenario. Uh, at 8.30, typically I will have something, um, and then once again, this is sort of like when, when I'm struggling through something, I will have uh, something like Natural Calm, which is almost like a tea of magnesium. And magnesium, you know, a lot of people are fairly low on magnesium. Magnesium is a de-stressor. Um, can sort of help you, um, you know, kind of stay asleep through the night or allow you to get into um, deeper sleeping states. I have talked about using melatonin in the past. I do think that there is a, in, in a you know, I'm also, uh, I've done L-tryptophan. Um, I may experiment with that actually relatively soon. My sleep's okay right now. It's not great. My schedule, you know, I will say my schedule is a little bit more flexible than a lot of yours because I can nap, you know, um, and uh, I can sleep at times other than just the, the, the times during the night. That also comes with its, its problems, as many of you might know. Um, because your body sort of adjusts to that relatively quickly. And so, you know, if on Saturday, you know, or let, let's say Sunday, so you end up sleeping six hours, you end up napping around 1 p.m., well, guess what's going to happen on Monday? You're going to want to nap around 1 p.m. That's sort of like the way my body works, and I think, you know, from most of the clients that we work with, that's the way that they talk as well. Um, so... So the routine there, you know, is of the utmost of importance. And what I think is, you know, and like I said, natural calm there. You could try melatonin. You could try L-tryptophan. The problem with both of those things that I see is that oftentimes you will sleep almost too deeply. And, you know, sometimes your sleep cycle will be shortened as a result. And that can be a negative. Uh, but, you know, I, I was, I, I think I got a little distracted earlier. Um, but I used to be in my head a lot about, about sleep and sickness and stuff like that. And what I sort of came to the conclusion of is I'll just sleep when I'm tired. And that sounds like the craziest, simplest thing, but it worked for me. And it allowed me to not panic about sleep. If you if you are an insomniac or if you're someone that struggles with sleep, um, you know, going through life exhausted uh, is not fun. And there is a fair amount of introspection that goes on there that can be kind of negative. And for some reason, you know, that worked for me. Uh, like I said, you know, melatonin, L-tryptophan, would I use it? I could kind of use it. I, I, I do feel like, you know, they sort of set up, you know, kind of like this artificial state that doesn't end up being positive long term. So I try not to do that. It's not uncommon for me to wake up, you know, 3 a.m., 4 a.m., something like that. You know, I, I'll just tell you guys, my, my situation might be a little bit different than, than you guys, but I, you know, I, I suspect that it's probably not, you know. Um, certainly, 
stress and thinking about things can be a factor. But I'll tell you what it is for me. I'm excited. I'm excited about my life. I love I love what I do. I love working with people. Um, and sometimes, you know, I'll wake up at four o'clock in the morning and, you know, just want to get rolling, you know, just want to start. And, uh, you know, I, I don't try to overthink that. I just go, well, if I'm tired, I'll sleep. And, you know, a lot of times when you have six hours sleep, uh, the night before, uh, you know, the, uh, the next day you'll end up getting eight to nine hours. Now, I would caution you, you know, if you're sick, go ahead, you know, sleep as long as you can. But the problem that you run into with these big, you know, kind of feeling those sleep deficits is that you sort of set up like this unhealthy kind of relationship. It's, it really, you know, body, your body is really looking for balance. And, and you know, if you do know, this is going to be a repeat. If you don't know, basically what we're talking about is, is called homeostasis. And your body is really, you know, your body really likes it when you work out at the same time fairly often, you, when you go to sleep fairly often. And it's those routines. It's sort of funny, like um, the uh, last week uh, on Tuesday, day after Martin Luther King Day, my keys were gone. And in general, you know, I mean, I've written articles about you know, my keys being in the same spot, because when your keys are in the same spot, you know, like most people, I think probably know this, but the president only has two suits, gray and black, or gray and gray and um, the two types of suits. He actually has three types of suits. I, I learned that from the Jerry, Jerry Seinfeld um, interview, but it's basically gray, blue, and a tuxedo, right? And the reason why he does that is once, you know, he's got, he makes a lot of decisions a day and, it, you know, he doesn't want them to be, you know, he doesn't want his mind crowded by, you know, what he's going to wear for that day. So that's sort of interesting. And, and so with my car keys, as an example, uh, you know, I have them in the same spot and they weren't in the same spot. And I'm not going to say I've never, you know, put my car keys down you know, um, while I went to the bathroom or something like that. But typically I can retrace my steps because they would have only been within five to six feet of where my car keys are at at normal and my car keys were gone. Well, it didn't take me more than a couple minutes to realize that my wife took my car keys, you know, by accident. And um, it was that level of problem solving that allowed me to solve the ultimate problem i think what happens for a lot of people and we see this certainly with with um you know and i apologize if this is redundant for some of you guys but when people say they're overwhelmed or things are confusing or, or things of that nature what i think they're really saying is that a lot of times you know they're they'll they'll have a puzzle and then they'll dump their puzzle and they're sort of hoping for you know it all to be solved all at once and that's not really how puzzles work you have to piece them together and uh, instead of solving the puzzle piece by piece you know they try something totally new 
and then basically just dump more puzzle pieces on. You know, so you went from a thousand piece puzzle to basically a 50,000 piece puzzle like really quickly, but you never solved the first one. And so you'd be better off to break that things down to the basics and try and solve that. And, and sleep and sickness is just one of those things that uh, is just sort of hard to deal with. The other thing that would I would obviously be remiss to, to not bring up as Mr. Eat Form is metabolic function tends to uh, upregulate when you're sick as a mechanism of trying to heal you, which means that um, all those foods that you're craving when you're sick, you should eat those foods because those foods are the ones that are probably going to um, heal you and allow for the, the healing. I think, you know, when we get in our own way in that scenario and, and, you know, I think people overthink that as well. Like for instance, if you eat mostly whole foods, there's nothing stopping you from having bone broth, you know, um, if you're vegetarian, vegetable broth, you know, um, white rice is a good energy dense source. I mean, think about it. If your body is craving energy to heal itself, it's not going to ask you for chicken and kale. It's going to ask you for um, liquids. It's going to ask you for energy dense foods. And so it's a good time to do that. In my view, the end all be all by far best solution for me is pho. And pho is a Vietnamese soup when uh, combined with, I believe it's hoisin sauce and a little sriracha. Um, it has sodium. When you're like super, super negative about sodium and like all in your head about it all the time, um, because you know, everybody knows, you know, if you have more salt, it's going to cause a little bit you know, of water retention, that's fine when you're sick. Like, don't overthink the sodium stuff, right? Sickness um, is a good time to have sodium. What a lot of people don't realize is that in the small intestine, that sodium is actually the electrical bond that allows those nutrients to go where they need to go. So sodium is abundant in nature for a reason. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't view sodium as the, inner, the, the enemy. I do often talk about the fact that the potassium-sodium relationship, that you could have more potassium um, to combat uh, the effects of sodium. Kind of the lower calorie points tend to be, you know, like your dense leafy greens. Um, usually when you're sick, you're not craving dense leafy greens. Um, you're craving calories. I think that's, you know, I, you know, I'm on various newsletters and, uh, you know, one, one of the people sent me something that said, you know, how to stop cravings and, you know, avoid cheating on your diet, which I think is hilarious that, that's even still a thing by an actual health professional um, when you're, you know, cheating, you know, sets up this negative relationship. And, you know, in some ways it's, it's a good thing for me because, you know, if, if they're 
talking to people about health and wellness, um, that should be something they should have figured out a long time ago, but apparently not. You know, people are still struggling and, and teaching people negative relationships with food, which, you know, that's obviously the opposite of what we try to do on a daily basis. But when I talk about adding potassium as a way of processing sodium, that's what that's what potassium does. Um, the potassium and sodium bond together to basically, you know, kind of allow for the electrical bonds that make food more um, nutrient available. And uh, but they, you know, it usually comes with calories. So that's where, like, a lot of the the people that are trying to starve themselves, you know. Um, lean, they start to struggle because, you know, white rice isn't on their list and potatoes potatoes isn't on their list. And, you know, it's interesting to me when we're talking about eating at a deficit when people talk about being more rigid. And the reason why that's interesting to me is because doesn't it make sense to all of you guys that if you're burning the candle at both ends, because, you know, what are you doing when you're eating at a deficit, right? I'm not saying that you shouldn't eat at a deficit. And if you're new to eat to perform, you know, you probably don't know that, you know, we do recommend periods of deficit eating, but much different than the way that that most people do and and certainly not near as extreme because when you are eating at a deficit you're essentially throwing stress onto your system some of that stress is allowing the adaptation for your body to use stored body fat right the problem is is that you know like you whack that with a little hammer, you know, and if you're, you know, listening on the podcast, you're not seeing me like doing a hammering motion. Um, and, and then, you know, what ends up happening for a lot of people is they start to, you know, not see a result, you know, and then they start hammering harder. And then all of a sudden they got a jackhammer, you know, and just all these extreme, 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 extreme. And, and most of it looks like, fewer calories, more working out, more stress, and basically, you know, they they just damage themselves to a point where, you know, their body just, you know, doesn't want to function in the normal way. And so the and then they get scared to death of actually doing the only thing that that works for them, which would be the exact opposite, you know. And and um you know, I understand that that fear is legitimate, but when someone says like a super rigid way of doing things is the answer, why does it not occur to them that people would get sick when they're dieting? You know, why does it not occur to them that, you know, people will struggle through those obstacles? I mean, the, the, you know, if if you're looking at a rigid plan and you're saying to yourself, well, the only way I can succeed is through this rigid plan, what happens when you get sick? 
did you fail or, or did that approach fail? I would argue that approach failed, right? Because, you know, in our view, the failures are the light that lights the path that shows the way, right? And if you're normally, you know, if your body's normally thriving and eating, you know, 2,600 calories and you're, you're getting to bed, like I was suggesting to Katie, you know, you're relaxing at 8 o'clock, you're, you know, having your, your tea at 8.30 and then, you know, you're in bed by 9, you're sleeping a good 8 hours a day and then all of a sudden you start to, to introduce something into that balance that breaks up that balance and your body responds to that negatively by getting you sick or whatever, why is that not normal? Why is that not seen as the thing that, you know, should happen in that scenario? Like a big deer just ran by. This is It's sort of funny, like if you watch this on video, you get like a different response than you would if you're just listening to it on the podcast. But basically, uh, I'll just describe it. I have my window in my offices in my basement and to my right is is kind of like a, a woodland area and we get all manner of um, wildlife over here. We get turkeys and deer and all kinds of stuff. So I hope that helps. Obviously, I covered it you know, in depth because I wanted to, you know, like, you know, address, um, a lot of, a lot of issues. I don't know if there was anything within that, that was sort of unclear. Rebecca's saying that she had pho Thursday and Friday. Um, she said she finally had an appetite today, starting to feel a little bit better. Got a green eye plate reading. So pho is magic or, or pho is magic. Yes, pho is magic. Um, it really is. You know, if, if you want Pho, and pho is spelled P-H-O. That's why I sometimes pronounce it as pho. Um, the best thing that ever happened to me with my relationship with pho was walking into a Vietnamese restaurant, because that's where you get it typically. And what's funny about going into a Vietnamese restaurant is, you know, if you normally have you know, a dish that might be like beef and broccoli or something like that, you know, you'll hear this slurping and it's all the Vietnamese people that are having pho and they have pho fairly often. And actually it's sort of funny because like uh, one of uh, guys that I became friendly with, actually we, ha we have pho so often that the guy knows our order. Like he just comes over, he just, you know, like if somebody had given us a menu he would just go, oh, yeah, you guys don't need menus. Do you have any changes to what you normally get? And we say no, and then he just brings us what we normally get. But one of the things that he said to me, he said, you don't see a lot of sick Vietnamese people. You know, and he's like, that's because of pho. And I, I think I thought it was sort of interesting that he, you know, had like this pride for that. But, but I think, you know, when you look at like who we all are as people, you know, and genetic potential and, and things of this nature, what he's saying to you, like if pho is, is not a small amount of calories. I mean, it's a lot of calories, allows you to do a lot of work, 
a lot of a lot of you know be very capable and most of the people that are having it are not 64 and 275 pounds you know i mean genetically you know vietnamese people tend to be smaller frame type people but they're still eating an adequate amount of food for what they do and uh, it allows them to do a lot more and it allows them to be healthy and have good immune function and things of this nature and I know it's a little bit of that stereotyping and I'm not trying to stereotype but um, I just wanted to kind of give like a, a, a general uh, framework but uh, but yeah the uh, the best thing that I ever did was I walked into this restaurant and I said sir you seem like a full professional. By the way, this is this is like my, the story of my whole life. You know, one of the things that I learned early on is that if you walk up and say to someone, "I don't know anything that you're an expert on. Is there a way that you could help me or point me in the right direction?" I don't think I've ever had anyone say no to me in that scenario. Right? Like, you know, people will help you, um, especially if you come at them um, in, a, in a correct manner. So what I said to this guy, I said, you know, people have been talking about this pho. I said, when I had it, it wasn't particularly good. <laughs> and I said, so, you know, this is obviously something that you eat and know a lot about. Is there a way that you could, you know, hook mine up for me? And I mean, like, Dude just went to work, you know, he's throwing like basil leaves in and jalapenos and, and, uh, oh shoot, I can't remember what those things are, but there's, they're like little straw, um, things. Rebecca might know what I'm talking about. Um, and then he put the hoisin sauce and sriracha and it was, it was so good. Um, and I know there's multiple ways to do it. And, and, you know, whenever you start talking about this stuff, it's almost like talking about religion because it's very passionate for people. And I'm, I don't mean to be like trampling over um, your enjoyment of pho, but um, this guy was so super helpful to me and, uh, and, and my daughters. I mean, my daughters love this guy, <laughs> you know, like they, they think he's the nicest person in the world. Um, Katie was also saying, I need to learn to make it. We live in a very rural area in West Virginia, and there's no diversity in restaurants. Ruby Tuesdays and Applebee's is it. All pho is is bone broth with rice noodles. Um, and so if you look for a bone broth recipe, you're good to go. We actually, you know, Instapots has been kind of the big thing uh, within the meal planning group. And so believe that you can make bone broth um, relatively quickly you know instapots if you don't know is like a um, shoot uh, compression um, what's it called uh, I'm blanking um, it's where you make the rice um, anyway so no, nobody's helping me here at, at this point so I'm totally lost that's the problem with having only one person um, food compressor or no shoot it's not a steamer um, it releases steam but I think you guys know what I'm talking about basically um, it it cooks your food with steam in a very quick manner so no one's speaking up and pressure cooker there we go Stacy thank you very much okay so 
so far, we've only had a few people bring up any questions at this point. And so I'm going to probably shut this down. So if you, you know, this is a relatively small class. If you have any questions before we end, uh, please speak up now. Otherwise, I'm just going to shut it down. Uh, if you're not following, um, I know that people listening to the podcast where this is Saturday, January 23rd. So if you're listening to this on June 19th um, of 2016, don't go to Snapchat because you're not going to see anything related to our Greensboro event. But because the event was canceled, um, I'm actually doing most of the activities. And today's going to be kind of a fun one. So keep an eye out for that stuff. So I appreciate everybody being here. Um, you know, we do these on Tuesdays, uh, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays. We also have fundamentals classes for people that, uh, that work very similar to this. Like in this class, as an example, we have six people, including myself. Fundamentals tends to be a little bit bigger, so we can't like go, we can't deep dive, you know, um, subjects the way that we can do here and then of course group coaching which you know you have virtual non-stop access to coaches so I appreciate everybody being here definitely if you're feeling sick try pho or some version of pho that works for the way that you eat and I think you're going to dig it it's pretty cool alright guys I appreciate you being here on a Saturday morning and we'll talk to you guys later bye bye